Good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. If you are new with us, just want to welcome you to church. Uh, my name is Joe Polino, and I get the honor of getting to serve here as the lead pastor. Uh, so just uh, so thankful to be a part of this church family and excited to get into God's Word today. Um, as Donnie said last week, we actually started a new sermon series called Make Us One. Make Us One, and it comes from the prayer that Jesus prays to the Father for us. And he says this in John 17, 20 through 21. This is Jesus praying for us to hear out loud. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, not for the 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's for us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The stunning prayer that the church that would come, which didn't even exist yet, but he saw coming, would be one just as the Father and he are one and that we would be in them. So this is our prayer. This is kind of our crafted prayer, our way of saying it this year. This is gonna be our prayer and our roadmap. Say, God, would you do this in us? And we have a slide that says, let's join with Jesus in this prayer. We're gonna say, God, make us one with you. Make us one with one another so that the world will know who Jesus is, okay? So we're gonna say that together, all right? You ready? So you can repeat after me. God, make us one with you. Make us one with one another so that the world will know who Jesus is. There you go, way to go. Um, but how are we actually going to grow in this? Like, what are we gonna do with this? Well, the book of Ephesians is actually a blueprint for us to become a church that Jesus prays for us to be. So we're going through the book of Ephesians, uh, but I did a little curveball last week, and instead of opening up in Ephesians, we did Acts 19 instead, because in Acts 19, we get to see how the church in Ephesus actually started. So we're gonna be there again today, and then next week, Donnie's gonna open us up in Ephesians. So Come back for that, it's gonna be awesome. So turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 19. Acts 19. And while you're turning there, why are we looking at Acts 19? Like I said last week, I want you to imagine that you are a citizen of Ephesus back in biblical times. And if you were a citizen, you would know that Ephesus was a powerful and influential city. It was a port city that was the bridge between the Greco-Roman world and Asia. So lots of trade and commerce were coming in. It also was home to the temple of the goddess Artemis, which was one of the great seven wonders of the world. So as you can imagine, like a city like New York City or London or maybe uh, you know even Seattle or Paris, like you have a certain amount of pride, like. I am from this place, it's like a part of you. So if you were an Ephesian, being a part of Ephesus was like that. And it was, and the, and the goddess of Artemis had, um, it, she was the goddess of fertility, of magic, and of astrology, okay? So if you wanted to go like change your destiny, literally change your stars, you would go to the city of Ephesus. If you wanted to garner favor, with, uh, with the gods, you would go. So this is a very religious city, so much so that uh, scholars can go back and see uh, the phrase Ephesian writings, and they're not talking about Paul's letter, they're talking about spell books, you know? And so if you were to say, honey, I'm going to the store, you know, do you want me to get some milk and Lucky Charms? Like literally it would be like, 
actual lucky charms, like charm bracelets, jewelry. Like you would actually go and buy shrines and idols. We actually just bought lucky charms at our house and they are, de- they are magically delicious. So uh, just a little plug there for, for that sugary cereal. No, but really like that, this was just a part of their everyday fabric was just this uh, sense of the divine and the natural were, were overlapping all the time. Uh, and it actually was a big business of selling shrines and idols and things like that. So imagine you're in that city and you are going about your business and then you are met by some uh, people named Priscilla Aquila and their friend Paul. They tell you about this all-powerful God and about Jesus and about the forgiveness offered in his name and that you can receive the Holy Spirit, be adopted, and you say, I believe that. And you become a believer in Jesus. You become a part of what they would say then was the way of Jesus. And then you find yourself on the ground floor as a core team of this new church in Ephesus. What in the world would it be like? Well, we don't actually have to guess what it would be like. We can just read Acts 19 and see. But I just wanna say like one of the reasons why we're doing this is sometimes I can come to the letter of Ephesians and it's honestly one of the, it's like home base for me. If I don't know what to read, I'll go back to Ephesians. And I can, I can think like, oh, this is so straightforward. Why can't we just be a church like this? Why can't I just be a Christian like this? Why can't we be unified like this? But when we look at Ephesus, oh no, it was not anything like the letter of Ephesians. And yet in a matter of a few decades, like this church was thriving. And I actually have a picture, uh, this past fall, I had the opportunity to go uh, to, uh, on a work trip to Rome, Italy with Zach and with Jeremy West. So we got to go to Rome. And so when we were in Rome, we got to see all the sites and wait for hours to see the Colosseum and the Roman Forum and uh, Palatine Hill and all these popular places. But we were trying to find where did, where's the, the maritime prison where Paul was supposed to have written these letters. And it was a little, like no one was waiting. There was no queue at all. And it was tucked away, but it was right next to the Colosseum and the Roman Forum and right where all these powerful places were. It was right next to it. And we went down into the cell where Paul was, and it is actually a a hole they would put prisoners in, and it's right over a well. So it's constantly damp. And legend has it, Zach was telling me that when the water would rise, some of the prisoners would be baptized before they would be executed. It's really powerful. But just imagine that Paul writing this letter that we're going to get into from this place of being underground and that all the ruins that we saw were going to be in some way subverted and disrupted by the gospel to the point where this great civilization is now no more, but yet the church of Jesus Christ is still growing and growing and growing and growing. So I have a tree that's next to my house that I think about sometimes when I think about the city of Dallas. I'll put that picture up. So it's just a, it's a big oak tree that has uh, moved the sidewalk that we walk and they've tried to repair it some so it doesn't look super cracked, but there's no way they can actually, they, they can't go through the tree. And I just imagine like the acorn that landed there, you know, like to think like that over years and years and years and years that eventually that little acorn would actually 
push up the concrete and break it is, is hard to imagine. And yet that is exactly what the church of Jesus Christ and what the gospel is made to be, guys. So as we go into Acts 19, I know it's a lot of buildup, but here's why I do that. I believe God wants to encourage and strengthen us as we read his, earth, read his word that there is the same power present for us today as there was then. Okay, so you guys ready to read? Okay, so we're gonna start at Acts 19, verse 11. Verse 11, so we went through one through 10 last week. We're gonna start up in verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the, of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread wildly, widely and grew in power. Praise God. So there's three things, three things that I, I think God wants to encourage us with today. Miracles, deliverance, and communal repentance. Just kind of rolls off the tongue. Just some lights, lights, you know. Miracles, deliverance, and communal repentance. I got a, someone was saying last week when we talked about the Holy Spirit, he's like, oh, I'm so glad, you know, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I'm just, I didn't even plan on preaching that until I read Acts 19 and it was about the Holy Spirit. So I didn't plan on preaching these things. It's just here. So we're gonna go for it, okay? So number one, miracles. Let's go back to verse 11. Or like I like to say, miracles, miracles. God, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So what is going on here? As the gospel is spreading throughout all of Asia, so are the miracles being done by God through Paul. Some of those miracles are being done not by him like personally, but by his like dirty laundry or by his like tissue paper or they, they, what, they, what they said was like he had an apron for tent making and what they suppose is that uh, they would take one of his aprons and take it to someone and they would be healed or an evil spirit would be cast out. So remember in Ephesus, like this city was full of magic arts and spell books and sorcery. So this would be kind of common. And, and even this would be commonplace for you to buy something at your local magic arts store. And for three installments of $29.99, you can have this cloth, which will ward off, you know, fill in the blank spirit. But here, Paul 
Like it's, it's a way of God saying like, compared to your gods, which are not even gods at all, here's the power of the one true God that Paul preaches. Here's the power of Jesus who's Lord. So it's not, it's, it seems random, but in some ways it's almost like the, in the Old Testament where the 10 plagues uh, on, on Egypt coincided with different gods that the Egyptians worship. This is a way of God saying, I, have, I am more powerful, Jesus is Lord, over what you proclaim as powerful. You guys following me? And this is actually a pattern that we see all throughout Acts. So in Acts 1.8, this is what Jesus told the disciples. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we can see that whenever they actually go to these places, there's a spiritual conflict that happens, almost like a turf war. So spiritual conflict pattern happens as the gospel advances in Acts. In Jerusalem, the church starts there. Ananias and Sapphira, it said that the devil prompted them to lie. So there's a conflict there. Ananias and Sapphira in Jerusalem. Then in Judea and Samaria, there's this man called Simon the sorcerer who says, would you lay hands on me so that I can have this power that you have to the disciples? So there's a conflict there. And then here, now they're in Ephesus, which is the ends of the earth, and here we just read about the seven sons of Sceva and their encounter with, uh, with uh, the demonic. They're, they're trying to use the name of Jesus and there's, there's spiritual battle here. So why does this matter to us reading this today? Because I, I bet there's kind of two emotions in the room. One is like, this is so awesome. Isn't God amazing? But then there might be another emotion or question that could be even discouraging of like, okay, on the one hand, God is all powerful, I believe that. But then on the other hand, why don't I see this happening today? Might be a question that you have. Like, and so you're just trying to grapple with, this isn't my everyday life experience. So I believe the word of God. So what, what's going on here? So maybe you say, well, is it because the apostles, like Paul, were the only ones doing the miracles? Well, they, that's not what we see in scripture. There were extraordinary miracles done by the apostles, but we also see second generation believers like Stephen in Acts 6, there you go, Stephen, uh, performing uh, miracles. It also says that Philip was performing miracles in Acts 8. And then you even go to third generation where it says Barnabas and even Ananias, like we're seeing God do signs and wonders in Jesus' name, okay? So it's not just the apostles, but maybe it was just, uh, it was just back then. Why don't we see it today? I would say, actually, we do see it today. We do see it today. More than we know, and more than I believe the enemy wants us to believe. A New Testament theologian, Craig Keener, did a lot of research on this. He wrote, he wrote a book called Miracles Today. I don't think he said it that way, but you know, mir Miracles Today, uh, Modern Signs and Wonders in Jesus' Name. And he's capturing these documented miracles that happen uh, in, in our times. And here's what he said on an interview with Christianity Today about his book. He said, Pew Research and other surveys show that hundreds of millions of people in the world today claim to have witnessed miracles. Other sources indicate millions of people converted at a great social cost from different ancestral traditions because they believed they witnessed or experienced extraordinary miracles beyond their indigenous healing traditions in the name of Jesus. So, 
Logically, I know this is a simplified explanation, but just for the time we have, if it's not just for the apostles and it does happen today, what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us today? And I just believe that growing up here in Dallas and even thinking about the city of Ephesus and I I just like, how do we translate it to us here? That I believe that one of the lies that's out to steal, kill and destroy the church is the hidden belief that we should not expect God to do anything when we pray. One of the lies that's out to steal, kill, and destroy the church is this hidden belief that we should not expect God to do anything when we pray. Now, I'm not saying you believe this. I'm, not, I'm just saying I believe that growing up in Dallas, maybe this is for me, but this is, I think, one of the issues that if, if Dallas was on the, in, in the book of Revelation where Jesus addresses the different churches in different cities and addresses Ephesus, and so, if he came to Dallas, my guess is that he would address the sin of unbelief. And I'm not speaking that over my church, our church. I'm saying in compassion growing up here that it felt like there was concrete over my head and I believed in God, but it felt like I couldn't actually interact with them in my everyday life. It was like, oh, I'm going to church, but then it was just like, I don't see it. I don't know, I don't know how to reconcile what I'm reading and, what, and, and who God is. And so I just... I was wrestling and I just feel like there's, there's something here for us to contend for in the area of belief. And now you might say like, there's reason to be hesitant on miracles because there's been spiritual abuse. Yes, there has. There's also emotionalism where you get yourself worked up, but it's like, you're just in your feelings. Absolutely. But I would say, yes, we don't wanna have naive, we don't wanna be naive to spiritual abuse. We don't wanna chase emotionalism either, but we cannot throw out belief with the bathwater. Nothing is impossible with God. We have got to let faith rise up, amen? So how do we, how do, we do this? Well, really it's, it goes back to just being simply like a child. In John 14, 13, Jesus told his disciples, ask whatever you will in my name, ask. Ask, and and I love what Paul Miller says in his book, A Praying Life. He says, all of Jesus's teachings in the gospels can be, on on prayer in the gospels, can be summarized with one one word, and it's ask, ask. So as we simply come and ask, believing that God would actually do miracles. And so I was thinking about stories of like, okay, what could I share just to kind of build our faith? I was thinking about when Amy and I uh, were dating about nine years ago, and we had the opportunity to um, be a part of this church planning intensive in our city. And what they would do is send us out two by two. So I was very happy to be her partner uh, going out two by two. And, uh, and we would go out and we would prayer walk these different apartment complexes. And we would just go up to someone and our, after introducing ourselves, we, our opening line was, if God could do a miracle in your life, what would it be? And could I pray for it? And so we would have different conversations and people would take us up on it and we'd pray for them. And this one family, I remember they said, we just found out that our cousin who's 12 years old has cancer. She's in Houston, she's having tests done. Can you pray for her? So we said, yes, can we pray right now? And so we prayed. And so I'm asking like a child, just saying, okay, Lord, like that seems pretty big. We prayed for her to be healed and then we left and we came back the next day to do the same thing. And as we were walking around the apartment complex, this same family came up to us 
And they were like waving their arms and flagging us down. And we were like, do we know you? Like, is this, you know, we didn't recognize them at first. They were like, like, she's healed, she's healed, she's healed. And we were like, what? Like, she, like, she's healed? And, and then they're like, yes, we found out yesterday, like in the evening, she said that her test came back and she's, she has no cancer. And so she was like, praise God. They were like, praise God. This is amazing. So we're like, do, do you want lemonade? Do you want to come in our house? And they were like, welcome us in. And, and we came in and then the, our, our reputation started like, we weren't just like the, the strangers walking around, you know, the apartment complex. They were like, you're the praying people. Like, come, come, come to my house. Like, I have something to pray for you. And uh, I have something that you, I need prayer for. I need a miracle. And so we would pray for them and just have some sweet times and, and, and we would pray for more people, but I just want to like build our faith. Like God responds to your prayers and they matter. And I don't, there is a mystery here. Prayer, like when we try to master prayer or put it in a formula, like it's not meant to be like that. Like we're actually meant to like enter into union with God and communion and partner with him. We'll get into that more, but I just want to build our faith. So that's one, that we can be encouraged this morning because God is doing miracles He's still doing miracles today. Amen? All right, so let's go to number two. God encourages us with his deliverance today. So let's go to verse 13. So some Jews who went around driving out evil evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So what's happening here? Again, remember, this is a religious city where sorcerers and, you know, it's almost like businesses looking for competitive advantages to like get above other businesses. So they find out that it's actually not Paul who's doing the miracles, it's God through Paul. And they do a little bit more digging. And they say it's actually in the name of Jesus that he is healing people. And so they're like, we got him. We got them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this out on our next assignment. So they go and they're going around using the name of Jesus for their own means. And let's just say it doesn't work out well for them. It doesn't work out well for them. And, and just, so, just to reiterate this point, this is not like a Star, War, Star Wars duel of like the dark side overcoming like a Jedi Knight. This is not it at all. Like these, these Jewish, these seven sons are not believers in Jesus. They do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. They are trying to invoke Jesus' blessing. And what happens is, is what, I've, what some scholars said is like a turf war among demonic activity over this person. And so anyway, that's what's going on here. And, and I'll just say too, like there, even in this chapter, there is a lot of mention about evil spirits and, and demonic. And if that's something that makes you uncomfortable, makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes, I almost read it. It's almost like you wince a little bit as you read it. Like, ooh, 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 I don't, I don't really know what to do with that. That doesn't fit in my box. And my, my encouragement and challenge to us is as disciples of Jesus today, let's let Jesus's worldview shape ours and not our worldview be the one that trumps Jesus's. So if you look at Jesus's worldview, it's biblical worldview that one of the themes that is not mentioned as much as I think we probably should is that from Genesis to Revelation, there is a spiritual conflict that is happening from the start with the serpent 
all the way up until the Gospels, and we can talk about the Old Testament, but the Gospels where Satan tempts Jesus before the start of his ministry, and then all the way to the book of Revelation where, where evil and Satan and, his, and the fallen angels are, angels are dealt with definitively. So there's this theme. And so Jesus sees this theme and it's very normal to him. And you look at the scriptures and it's not a secret either. So you look at Peter in the letter to, uh, in Peter and in James, they warn us to resist the devil. And in the book of Ephesians, it has some of the most detailed instructions on spiritual warfare. Makes sense having come from a city where they encountered a lot of that. So a whole chapter is dedicated to studying the armor of God in chapter six. So we'll get into that, but it says in Ephesians 5.12, this is a famous scripture, for our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So why does this matter to us today? Why is this important for us? Well, like a good friend, if I know that my friend's about to walk into a, a dicey situation or a conflict, I, want, I might wanna give him a heads up. I think for me, Jesus is the good shepherd. And if he's telling me that there is a thief out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, then it's good for us to pay heed to that warning because he loves us and he's a good shepherd. Amen? But we don't need to be afraid or obsessed with this because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, right? But we also must be aware. And so C.S. Lewis says this uh, really eloquently in, the, in Screwtape Letters, which is a book about, um, is a book about some of the hidden conversation that might happen among uh, the demonic. And it's, it's a fiction, but he says it in a way that I think is, uh, is really powerful. He says, there are two and equal opposite errors into which our race, our human race, can fall about the devils. One is to believe in their existence, or one is to disbelieve in their existence, excuse me. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So what's he saying? We don't need to be afraid or obsessed. We also don't need to be ignorant of what's happening. You know? So what do we do with that? I think just real practically, for me, even last night in preparing for this message, I was like, I, I, I showed up to preach Acts 19, Lord. I feel like I'm poking some things in the eye today. So it was really hard for me to like get clarity. And I felt like, Lord, is this the world, the flesh, or the devil? Is this just me being tired from a week? Or is this? And so I felt like that it was something more than just the world, the flesh. And so I was thinking about in Ephesians 6, where it says, take uh, to pray in the spirit, to take the, the sword of the spirit. And so I started praying scripture. And so one of the scriptures that I've prayed over the years is Micah 7, 7, which says, but as for me, I will watch for the God of hope. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So do not gloat over me, O my enemy. So, so though I fall, I will rise. And though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light to me. And so I just would say it again. But as for me, I will wait expectantly for the Lord of my salvation. I will wait and watch and hope for he will hear me. Do not gloat over me, O my enemy, for though I fall, I will rise, and though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is the light to me. Now I started to quote whatever scripture came to mind. 
Lord, when I don't know what to do, my eyes are on you. And as I was saying these scriptures, you know, the, the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and find refuge. And as I was saying these things over and over and over again, there was a, a, a fog that was parting. There was a clarity, there was a renewing of my mind that was happening. And so this is not just, you know, a, you know the seven sons of Sceva might be one of the most dramatic stories in all of Acts. This is a very practical everyday battle where, where in our world, it's just like, we just need to be aware that there might be some things that might be the world, it might be our own flesh, it might be the devil, and for us to engage with scripture and what it tells us to do, amen? But there's even, there's one more thing I wanna say, and I, I, I just feel like this is, this is really important. Like when we say, Lord, make us one with you, make us one with one another so that the world will see Jesus, what's the big deal about people seeing Jesus? Why is that important? I know you're in church, so it's like, well, duh. You guys might understand that, but really, what is it, why is it significant for us to see Jesus? Why is it significant for us to show people who Jesus is? I think part of it is because Jesus wants to deliver people from oppression and from hopelessness and from the chains that they're in. Jesus said in, John, in 1 John 3, 8, it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. So it's not just that we would be able to go about our lives with less hindrance. It's so that other people may be set free may find life. Jesus is the bread of life. And so there's an urgency of like, Lord, we are calling, we are wanting to be made one so that we can partner with you in what you're doing in our city and in the world. Amen? Oh man. So I just, that's a part of this deliverance piece that I just haven't connected on more of a like big picture that, that I just think is so important. And even kind of, Lord, would you help our worldview to be like, that's part of the church's call. That's part of our call. Is as we share the gospel and as we make disciples, it's that the, the works of the devil would be destroyed. Which brings me to my last point, is that God wants to encourage us from this passage with communal repentance today. I don't think I've ever said that word before communal repentance, but it just, it just, as I was reading this, this is the phrase that came up. And so let's read again our, our scripture in verse 17. He said, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So, as this story started circulating among the Jews and the Gentiles about they're trying to use Jesus' name, but it didn't go well for them, and the exorcist got exorcised out of that house, that people started to like, oh, there's actually, we need to respect the name of Jesus and held it in high honor. And believers were convicted. Like if, if pagans are holding Jesus' name in high honor, I need to hold them in high honor. And there's this deal, it's called, like, it's called syncretism where we try to take a little bit of our old life and pair it with Christ and we try to merge it. And that's what people were doing. 
And it's really, you know, we might not relate to the pagan worship part, but it's something that, man, I struggle with. I'll just be honest. It's saying it's something in our culture that maybe the idol will look a little bit different, but we're trying to walk that line. You guys, you guys with me? Man. And so when this conviction hits, they burn, they have a bonfire of their books, and the equivalent of today's value was about six million dollars worth of exotic books were burned in the streets. Just to put that in perspective. So you might think like, what could that money have been used for? (laughs) Wow, and they're just like, nope, not worth it. And what I'm picturing is that they were with joy saying, I'm done with this life. I'm done with paying all of my salary and all this for a little bit more from this God, a little bit more, a little bit more not being satisfied when I actually have true peace, I have true power, I have true wholeness of life in Jesus. So I think they were, and as they were doing this, oh man, the whole city got turned upside down. And we don't even get, we're not gonna get to the last part of uh, Acts 20, but there's a riot that breaks out because the businesses are failing. It's amazing. It disrupts the whole economy. So why does this matter to us? We may not be tempted like the Ephesians were in the occult or pagan worship in the same way, but we do face false gods who want us to set up idols every day. Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. So what can potentially provide you with comfort, approval, security, and significance? Those are the things to me that when I feel like comfort, approval, security, significance, if that's what I really want, like those pull me in, man, for me, it's a big one is career. If I find my right lane of calling, this will be where I find all of these things in the right job. And then if I find that career, let's just say pastor, if I'm a good pastor, then all of these will be met. But that's not a good master. Because the truth is that none of it really lasts past 24 hours. In a few days, you know, say, you know, whatever people think of this sermon, say, I think I did a great job, but I gotta do it again. I gotta prove myself again. There's not real security or comfort if a career is an idol. It's temporary at best. And if you fail or lose your job, your career, then your identity's gone. So that's one example of an idol. Another one is relationships. Relationships. So Artemis was the goddess of the fates and fertility. If I don't have this type of marriage or this type of person, or even just talk about non-romantic, about your, our, our own kids, Man, if this isn't happening, then I won't have comfort, security, approval, significance. The problem is that when you need somebody, you are not free to love them. When you need somebody, you aren't free to love them and speak truth and love because you can't risk the relationship because you need it. I'll say it again. I know, you got, hey, I'm almost done. I'm almost done, okay? But that, that, that's a big one. I'll say it again. When a person is your God or idol, you cannot risk the relationship by speaking truth and love or saying no. This is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of people is a snare. With Jesus at the center, you can actually love and be loved. It's the only way. So there's money, power, and fame. I won't get into that, but it's like, man, 
You lose your integrity real quick if those are your idols. You compromise real quick to get what you want there. I think you guys can fill in the blank. So what do we do? What do we do with this? If we identify that there's an idol, how do we kill it? You can't just identify it and say, go away. You have to actually replace, you have to replace it with something. And so what I would say for, to us is that actually what we did in the fast, we keep doing throughout the entire year. And so I have a slide up here that says, so during the fast, if you weren't here in January, we said, Jesus, I surrender. And whatever we felt like the Holy Spirit brought up in that blank, we surrendered that to, them, to, to the Lord and said today, and I trust in you. But trust is not the only form of an idol. There's also love and there's also fear or respect. So Jesus, I surrender blank to you today and I love you more. Jesus, I surrender blank to you today and I respect you more. So just put, that's, the, that's, a, that's a way to replace idols in our life. And I'm just gonna say, this is gonna be the rest of your life until Jesus comes back. So this is not like, don't feel bad. We all have this. Every, I have this every day. And spiritual maturity is becoming more aware of it every day. It's not the eradication of it. We never hit the bedrock. There's always a little bit more, okay? Because we're always becoming more like Jesus. So bringing it home, I'll just say this. What, struck out to, what, what stuck out to me about this passage was the people brought their books together where actually it says, it just said a number, sorry, a number. I can speak English. A number of people, a number of people were coming together to repent and turn away from false gods. This wasn't like a big mass mob coming to do this. It was just a few people. A few people felt convicted and they openly confessed they'd still been practicing sorcery. And a few people created a bonfire in the street. And that created a chain reaction that would eventually overturn the entire economy and city. So that's what I'm talking about, communal repentance. You know, I'm, I, 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 just going back to that picture of the tree digging up like the, the sidewalk. As we're going through the book of Ephesians, I'm praying that, that God would do that in our city that God would do that to disrupt places in our city. And that might look differently. It will look differently than the spell books because I, I know y'all pretty well. And if you're hiding those from me, when you have, we have some issues. But you know what I mean? Like it's different, different things. Like where, where are, what are implications for how this could look like for us? I wrote down three and then I'll close. One is that whenever I see a family engage in foster care or adoption, it's like a sign and wonder to me of how sacrificial and beautiful that is. And it's like, y'all are operating with a different value system than our city. What would it look like for our church to say like, hey, we wanna jump onto that. We, 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 how can we encourage that? You know, another one is when someone is actually spending time with you and they're not in a hurry. That's another place where I would say like, that's a sign and a wonder. You know, if you are choosing you know, your family or community over career, if you're choosing generosity over greed, like there's so many implications for us. This is what we're called to be. And I wanna see in our, I wanna see in my lifetime, this concrete broken up to see more of the kingdom come in. But it might not be in my lifetime, but it's, it might be in my, my kids' lifetime or in their kids, but it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen sometime. And so it's inevitable. So let's, at least, let, let's, let's believe for it, Amen. Amen. So why don't y'all go ahead and stand and the band come on up. So just to summarize,
Thank you all for listening. I know that was a little bit more in depth than normally I, I go to, but man, I just felt like there's, there was so much in Acts 19 I didn't expect that I think correlates to where we're at right now as a church. Just even talking about the three-year commitment, talking about becoming a greenhouse to a, to a farm. Like there's things that God wants to sow in us now in this book for us to really pay attention to. And so just to recap, God wants to encourage us with his miracles that are for today, deliverance, which is for today, and communal repentance, which is for today. So let's have our prayer and prophetic team up here. So there might just be a need for you to take a step and respond. Just say, I want to be a part of the solution. I, I, wanna, I wanna respond and say, Lord, maybe there's an idol in my life that I need help with. Or maybe, Lord, I, I need to surrender this to you. Whatever it may be, I just encourage you to come up. But I just wanna say he's worthy and he's good. And let's go to him with all of our lives this week. Amen? Amen. But Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you that you have good in store. God, for your church. God, would you make us one with you, one with one another so that the world would see Jesus. God, we pray that you, we would actually see miracles today and pray in faith. God, would you give us the gift of faith and help us where we're at. God, would you give us, God, eyes to see what you see and to be aware of the spiritual conflict that people are in right now. God, would you give us power? We don't have the power or the answers, but you do. And so we can go to you and we can present you to people. So Lord, we pray as we respond, God, that you would move in power in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.